Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part Two The Wreath Chapter Seven The following week, Brynhild Fluga came with word that the cloak was now finished, and Kristen went with her and was with Erland in the loft room as before. When they parted, he gave her a cloak. So you have something to show at the convent he said. It was made of blue velvet interwoven with red silk, and Erland asked her whether she noticed that they were the same colors as the dress she had worn on that day in the forest. Kristen was surprised that she could be so happy over what he said. She felt as if he had never given her greater joy than with those words. But now they could no longer use this excuse to meet, and it was not easy to think of something else. Erland went to Vespers at the convent church, and several times after the service Kristen went on an errand up to the Corodians' farms. They stole a few words with each other up along the fences in the dark of the winter evening. Then Kristen thought of asking Sister Potentia for permission to visit several palsied old women, charity cases of the convent, who lived in a house out in a field some distance away. Behind the house was a shed where the women kept a cow. Kristen offered to tend to the animal for them when she visited, and then she would let Erland come in while she worked. She noticed with some surprise that in spite of Erland's joy at being with her, a tiny scrap of bitterness had settled in his mind that she had been able to think up this excuse. It was not to your best advantage that you became acquainted with me, he said one evening. Now you've learned to use these kinds of secret ruses. You should not be blaming me for that, replied Kristen dejectedly. It's not you that I blame, said Erland at once, embarrassed. I never thought, she went on, that it would be so easy for me to lie. But what must be done can be done. That's not always true, said Erland in the same voice as before. Do you remember this past winter, when you couldn't tell your betrothed that you wouldn't have him? Kristen didn't reply, but merely stroked his face. She never felt so strongly how much she loved Erland as when he said such things that made her feel dejected or surprised, and she was glad that she could take the blame for everything that was disgraceful or ignoble about their love. If she had had the courage to speak to Simon as she should have, then they could have progressed a long way in settling these matters. Erland had done all that he could when he had spoken of marriage to his kinsman. This is what she told herself whenever the days at the convent grew long and dreary. Erland had wanted to make everything right and proper. With tender little smiles, she would think about him as he looked whenever he described their wedding. She would ride to the church dressed in silk and velvet, and she would be led to the bridal bed with a tall golden crown on her hair which would be spread out over her shoulders, her lovely, beautiful hair, he said, running her braids through his fingers. But for you, it won't be the same as if you had never possessed me, 
Kristen once said thoughtfully when he had spoken of such things. Then he pulled her ardently to him. Don't you think I can remember the first time I celebrated Christmas, or the first time I saw the mountainsides turn green back home after winter? Oh, of course I'll remember the first time I had you, and every time after that. But to possess you, that's like perpetually celebrating Christmas, or hunting birds on the green slopes. Joyfully she crept closer in his arms. Not that she, for a moment, believed that things would go as Erlon so confidently expected. Kristen thought that a judgment day was sure to befall them before long. It was impossible for things to continue to go so well. But she was not particularly afraid. She was much more frightened that Erlon might have to travel north before the matter could be settled, and she would have to stay behind, separated from him. He was over at the fortress on Akersnes right now. Monon Bardson was there while the royal treasurer was in Tunsberg, where the king lay deathly ill. But one day Erland would no doubt have to return home to see to his property. She refused to admit that this frightened her, because he would be going home to Husabi, where his mistress was waiting for him. But she was less afraid of being caught in sin with Erland than of standing up alone and telling Simon and her father as well what was in her heart. And so she almost wished that some punishment would befall her, and soon. For now she had no thoughts for anything but Erland. She longed for him in the daytime and she dreamed of him at night. She felt no repentance, but she consoled herself with the thought that the day would come when she would have to pay dearly for everything they had taken in secret. And during those brief evening hours when she could be together with Erland in the poor women's cowshed, she would throw herself into his arms so ardently as if she had paid with her soul to be his. But time passed, and it looked as if Erland was to have the good fortune that he was counting on. Kristen noticed that no one at the convent ever suspected her, although Ingebjörg had discovered that she met with Erland. But Kristen could see that the other girl never thought it was anything more than a little amusement she was allowing herself. That a betrothed maiden of good family would dare to break the agreement that her kinsman had made was something that would never occur to Ingebjörg. And for a moment fear raced through Kristen once more. Perhaps this was something completely unheard of, the situation she had landed in. And then she wished again that she would be found out, so that it could be brought to an end. Easter arrived. Kristen couldn't understand what had happened to the winter. Each day that she had not seen Erland had been as long as a dismal year, and the long, gloomy days had become linked together into endless weeks. But now it was spring, and Easter, and it seemed to her as if they had just celebrated Christmas. She asked Erland not to seek her out during the holidays, and it seemed to Kristen that he acquiesced to all her wishes. It was just as much her fault as his that they had sinned against the strictures of Lent. But she wanted them to observe the Easter holiday, even though it hurt not to see him. He might have to leave quite soon, he hadn't said anything about it, but she knew that the king was now dying, and she thought that this might cause some change in Erland's position. This was how matters stood for Kristen when, a few days after Easter, she was summoned down to the parlatory to speak with her betrothed. As soon as Simon came toward her and put out his hand, 
she realized that something was wrong. His face was not the same as usual. His small gray eyes weren't laughing, and they were untouched by his smile. Kristen couldn't help noticing that it suited him to be a little less jovial, and he looked quite handsome in the traveling clothes he wore, a long, blue, tight-fitting outer garment that men called a cotehardi, and a brown shoulder cape with a hood, which he had thrown back. His light brown hair was quite curly from the raw, damp air. They sat and talked for a while. Simon had been at Formo during Lent, and he was over at Urengard almost daily. They were all well there. Ulfield was as healthy as anyone could expect. Romborg was home now. She was charming and lively. The time is almost over, the year that you were supposed to spend here at Nonasetter, said Simon. They're probably preparing everything for our betrothal feast at your home. Kristen didn't reply as Simon continued. I told Lovrens that I would ride to Oslo to speak with you about it. Kristen looked down and said quietly, Things are such, Simon, that I would prefer to speak with you in private about this matter. I too have felt that this would be necessary, replied Simon Andresen. I was going to ask that you obtain Fru Groa's permission for us to walk in the garden together. Kristen stood up abruptly and slipped soundlessly out of the room. A short time later she returned, accompanied by one of the nuns with a key. A door from the parlatory opened onto the herb garden, which lay beyond the buildings on the west side of the convent. The nun unlocked the door, and they stepped out into a fog so dense that they could see only a few steps in front of them amidst the trees. The closest trunks were black as coal. Beads of moisture clung to every branch and twig. Small patches of new snow were melting on the wet soil, but beneath the bushes tiny white and yellow lilies had already sprouted flowers, and it smelled fresh and cool from the violet grass. Simon led her to the nearest bench. He sat down, leaning forward slightly with his elbows propped on his knees. Then he looked up at her with an odd little smile. I almost think I know what you want to tell me, he said. There's another man that you like better than me? That is true, replied Kristen softly. I think I know his name, too, said Simon, his voice more harsh. Is it Erlon Niklausen of Husaby? After a moment, Kristen said in a low voice, So this has come to your attention? Simon hesitated before he answered. Surely you can't think me so stupid that I wouldn't notice anything when we were together at Christmas time? I couldn't say anything then because my father and mother were present, but this is the reason that I wanted to come here alone this time. I don't know whether it's wise of me to speak of this matter, but I thought that we ought to talk of such things before we are joined in marriage. But as it happened, when I arrived here yesterday, I met my kinsman, Master Oystein, and he spoke of you. He said that he saw you walking across Clement's churchyard one evening, and that you were with a woman they call Brynhild Fluga. I swore a sacred oath that he must have been mistaken. And if you tell me that it's untrue, I will take you at your word. The priest was right, replied Kristen stubbornly. You forswore yourself, Simon. He sat in silence for a moment before he spoke again. Do you know who this Brynhild Fluga is, Kristen? When she shook her head, he said, 
Munan Bardson set her up in a house here in town after he was married. She sells wine illegally and other such things. Do you know her? asked Kristen derisively. I've never been inclined to become a monk or a priest, said Simon, turning red. But I know that I have never acted unjustly toward a maiden or another man's wife. Don't you realize that it's not the conduct of an honorable man to allow you to go out at night in such company? Erlon did not seduce me, said Kristen, blushing and indignant, and he has promised me nothing. I set my heart on him, though he did nothing to tempt me. I loved him above all men from the first moment I saw him. Simon sat there, playing with his dagger, tossing it from one hand to the other. These are strange words to be hearing from one's betrothed, he said. This does not bode well for us now, Kristen. Kristen took a deep breath. You would be poorly served to take me for your wife, Simon. Almighty God knows that this seems to be so, said Simon Andresen. Then I trust that you will support me, said Kristen, meek and timid, so that Sir Andres and my father will retract this agreement between us? Oh, is that what you think? said Simon. He was silent for a moment. God only knows whether you truly understand what you're saying. I do, Kristen told him. I know that the law is such that no one can force a maiden into marriage against her will. Then she can bring her case before the thing. I think it's before the bishop, said Simon, smiling harshly. But I've never had any reason to look into what the law says about such matters, and don't think you'll have any need to do so either. You know I won't demand that you keep your promise if you're so strongly opposed to it. But don't you realize, it's been two years since our betrothal was agreed upon, and you've never said a word against it until now, when everything is being prepared for the betrothal banquet and the wedding. Have you thought about what it will mean if you step forward and ask for the bond to be broken, Kristen? You wouldn't want me now anyway, said Kristen. Yes, I would replied Simon curtly. If you think otherwise, you had better think again. Erlon Nikolausen and I have promised ourselves on our Christian faith, she said, trembling, that if we cannot be joined in marriage, then neither of us will ever take a husband or a wife. Simon was silent for a long time. Then he said wearily, Then I don't understand what you meant, Kristen when you said that he had neither seduced you nor promised you anything. He has lured you away from the counsel of all your kinsmen. Have you thought about what kind of husband you'll have if you marry a man who took another man's wife as his mistress, and now he wants to take as his wife another man's betrothed? Kristen swallowed her tears, whispering in a thick voice, You're saying this to hurt me. Do you think I want to hurt you? asked Simon softly. This is not how things would have been if you... Kristen said hesitantly. You were never asked either, Simon. It was your father and mine who decided on this marriage. It would have been different if you had chosen me yourself. Simon drove his dagger into the bench so that it stood upright. After a moment, he pulled it out and tried to slip it back into its scabbard, but it refused to go in because the tip was bent. 
Then he went back to fumbling with it, tossing it from one hand to the other. You know very well, he said, his voice low and shaking. You know that you would be lying if you tried to pretend that I didn't... You know quite well what I wanted to talk to you about, many times, but you received me in such a way that I wouldn't have been a man if I had mentioned it afterward, not if they tried to draw it out of me with burning tongs. At first, I thought it was the dead boy. I thought I should give you some time. You didn't know me. I thought it would be harmful to you such a short time after. Now I see that you didn't need long to forget. And now, now, now. No, said Kristen quietly. I understand, Simon. I can't expect you to be my friend any longer. Friend, Simon gave an odd little laugh. Are you in need of my friendship now? Kristen blushed. You're a man now, she said softly, and old enough. You can decide on your own marriage. Simon gave her a sharp look. Then he laughed as he had before. I see. You want me to say that I'm the one who... I should take the blame for this breach of promise? If it's true that you are set in your decision, if you dare and are determined to press your case, then I will do it, he said softly. To my family back home and before all your kinsmen, except one. You will have to tell your father the truth, such as it is. If you wish, I will take your message to him and make it as easy for you as I can. But Lovrens Bjorgelsen must know that I would never go against a promise that I have made to him. Kristen gripped the edge of the bench with both hands. This affected her more strongly than everything else Simon Dara had said. Pale and frightened, she glanced up at him. Simon stood up. We must go in now, he said. I think we're both freezing, and the sister is waiting for us with the key. I'll give you a week to think things over. I have some business here in town. I'll come back to talk to you before I leave, but I doubt you'll want to see me before then. <laughs> <laughs> 